Well, so tonight's reading is from John chapter 5, verses 36 to 44. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because for you do not believe the one whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everybody. Such an honor to be preaching to you all tonight. Let's start with a prayer. Father God, thank you for this evening. I pray to speak to each and every one of us tonight. I pray there'd be impartation in the spirit tonight. I pray you would open our eyes to see more and more of Jesus tonight. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to talk tonight about drawing closer to Jesus and seeing him more clearly. And we're going to jump right into our passage. Just before our passage, Jesus has healed a man uh, by the pool of Bethesda. He'd been uh, lame for 38 years, um, but he was healed. And it was an astounding miracle. But some of the Jewish de- leaders didn't like the fact that it happened on the Sabbath. So Jesus is responding to them here. And in our passage, he refers to all of the signs that point to him. From John the Baptist who cried out, behold, the Lamb of God, to the Father who said, this, this is my Son, to the testimony of the miracles, including the one Jesus had just done, and the testimony of the Word, the very Scriptures they were studying, which spoke so clearly of Jesus. It all points to Jesus, and Jesus points to the Father. As he says here, the very things I do show that the Father has sent me. Everything I do shows who he is to. The healings, the miracles, the compassion, the kindness. When we see the works of Jesus, we don't just see Jesus. We also see the Father. But Jesus was talking to his harshest critics within the Jewish leadership, including the Pharisees. And he doesn't hold back from what he thinks. He said to them, you don't know me and you don't know the Father. The Pharisees had read the scriptures, but it hadn't given them sight, seen the miracles, but not really seen them. And now they had the Son of God in the flesh, standing in front of them, saying effectively, hello, 
It's me. I'm God. For they were blind to him. They read the word, but couldn't see the word made flesh. How could they have missed it? Well, something had clearly gone wrong within that sect. I mean, not all the Pharisees were bad apples. There were, some of them were trying to grasp hold of truth. They were exploring truth, Nathaniel, Gamaliel. But as a group, some kind of corruption seemed to have crept in because Jesus was challenging uh, these people, this sect, throughout his entire ministry. He said they polished the outside of their cup while the inside remained dirty. They were determined to look good. They wanted to be impressive. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be praised. They liked the best seats in the synagogue. They liked the high fives in the marketplace. But their hearts were unchanged. They remained proud and hard-hearted and hypocritical, and they lacked love, as it says in our passage. The Pharisees had developed and settled for a form of religion that gave them power and position and praise, and they were determined to camp there and receive that fleshly reward. They weren't going to move on from that. As Jesus said, they were lovers of the world, lovers of themselves, but not lovers of God. It's quite an indictment from Jesus. Tell us what you really think, Jesus. Don't hold back. But the biggest mistake of the Pharisees is that while all the other sinners were running to Jesus, they stayed at a distance. They would not come to him as Jesus says in our passage, echoing what he said elsewhere, they praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Despite all of their religious practices, they were not pursuing intimacy with God. They didn't truly have a heart for him. So when the Son of God stood right in front of them, they could not recognize him. What a tragedy, but also what a lesson. It's so important to avoid the leaven of the Pharisees. Jesus even warned his own disciples to avoid it. And it's just way too easy for us to discount the Pharisees. I mean, they're so first century with their funny clothes, their big tassels, their over-the-top legalism, their tithing of mint and cumin, their complete meltdown anytime anyone got healed, their love for stoning people. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like the Pharisees have just walked off the set of Monty Python's Life of Brian. I mean, they're just hard to relate to. They're so other, but perhaps less than we think. They weren't supervillains. They were ordinary people who were vulnerable to sin, and none of their sins were particularly unique or surprising. Who hasn't at times been hard-hearted? Who hasn't lacked love? Who hasn't been proud? Welcome to the human experience. We all have. I would say that's the normal daily human condition. And spiritually, who has not just gone through the motions? We've all had times when we've not moved forward in faith, when we've not pressed in to know Jesus, when we've not come close as he asks us to. The Pharisees were happy to camp where they were, and we can be the same. But if we do 
camp in one place. And if we don't lean in to Jesus, then distance will inevitably open up between us. And outside of the presence of Jesus, the human heart naturally hardens. And the eyes of the heart become dim. And it becomes harder to recognize Jesus and discern where he is, what he's doing, what he's saying to us. It becomes harder to to see him. And that is the danger of being a Christian, but not pursuing the presence of Jesus. We can get stuck in one place. We can get stuck on that one thing that to us is more important than his presence. And anything that is more important to us than the presence of Jesus becomes an idol, leaving us, like the Israelites, grounded at base camp as they worshipped the golden calf. But for us to really know Jesus, we have to daily break camp and be prepared to ascend a mountain like Moses, pursuing the cloud of God's glory. Don't live for anything other than an encounter with Jesus. Jesus told the Pharisees they should have come closer to him. That was the antidote that they needed, the antidote to their leaven. Come closer. And that is a lifetime's pursuit. We are to run after the presence of Jesus above every other consideration. And there's many ways of doing that, but the best way that I know how is through worship. A deeper coming closer requires a deeper worship. We have to go further than we've ever been, both in corporate and in personal worship, not just on a Sunday, but every day we need to be approaching Jesus in worship and keep worshiping. If we just keep worshiping, we will come into his presence and we will experience deeper realms of his presence, deeper realms of adoration, deeper realms of reverence, deeper realms of love, deeper realms of holiness, deeper realms of purity, deeper realms of majesty. If you keep worshiping and you don't stop, if you cultivate a heart and a lifestyle of worship, you will encounter the glory of Jesus. And when you stand on that holy ground, it will be impossible not to recognize him. Jesus said this, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. It's the purity of our worship that will unlock the face of Christ. And the more we seek him, the more we'll see him. But to really see him, we have to blindly pursue him. The Apostle Paul wrote that the glory of God is in the face of Jesus. If you pursue the presence and you don't stop, you will discover the face of Jesus in the cloud. Over the summer, I was in a really small little shop in Norfolk, and I was standing in the aisle looking at some items, and about two feet from me was a young woman. 
And I thought, I recognise her. I thought, where do I know her from? I couldn't place her. Is it, is it church? Is it another church? Is it uni? Was it school? I, I thought, I do know her. I'm sure I know her. So I, I turned to her to speak to her. And I thought, no, I, actually, I don't know her. I don't know who she is. I've got no idea. And I thought, no, that is definitely, I definitely, I was just racking my brain. I know her from somewhere. But I just couldn't recognize her. I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I saw the bodyguard. And then it clicked. It was Her Royal Highness Kate Middleton. <laughs> so I ran down the stairs, found my wife, Rebecca. I said, she's up there. Who? Kate Middleton. You love her. You love the royals. Go and take a peek. Go and have a look. This is your chance. And my wife's very sensible. She said, no, I don't want to invade her space. It's not honoring, you know. So I was fine. Okay. So we left the shop. But here's the thing. Kate Middleton is probably one of the most photographed women in the world. One of the most famous women in the country. And I must have seen her photograph hundreds of times in the newspaper and seen her on television, in video. I mean, how did I not recognize her? How did I miss it? Well, the truth is simple. It's because I don't really know her and I've never spent any time in her presence. We have to spend time in the presence of Jesus to really see and recognize him. So point one, draw close to Jesus. And point two is this, learn to love him. It's when we're in the presence of Jesus that we learn to love him. You know, it's an extraordinary thing that our worship can actually move the heart of Jesus. When we worship him, he does not sit there like a stone, unmoved, stoic, philosophically detached, emotionally unavailable. Jesus is not British. <laughs> you can move him. I have seen it in the spirit. We can actually minister to the heart of Jesus with our worship. And that is the purpose of life. It is loving him. It is loving God with all of our hearts. As it says in Song of Songs, rightly, do they love you? We can be so tied up in other things that we forget to minister to him. That's what he longs for. He longs for his bride to minister to him, to minister to his heart, to give him our adoration, our worship. That's the purpose of life. Being used by God, no matter how impressive or how spectacular, is not the crescendo of the human experience. The crescendo is being in love with Jesus. The goal is to fall in love. And the more we love him, the more we will see him. Because love actually gives you sight. In John 14, 21, Jesus says this, Those who love me, I will make my home with, and I will manifest myself to them. In other translations, it says, I will show myself to them. In other words, if you love me, you'll see me. 
I will reveal myself to you. Can you even imagine that kind of invitation? This is a promise in Scripture. These are the very words of Jesus. You can bet the house on this. You can stake your life on this. If you worship me, if you give me all of your heart, if you make loving me the absolute center of your existence, then I will powerfully reveal myself to you. I will really let you see me. If you love me, you will see me, and I will make my home with you. I will manifest my tangible presence upon your life. I was talking um, a few days ago to our postgrads pastor, Laura Gallagher, and she was just teaching me stuff about the Welsh Revival uh, that I didn't know that really captured my attention, and I went off and did some research too. And um, I read about this. It was 1904, small church in Wales, and the pastor was pressing in for more of God, and he invited people to come up and give testimonies. And a young girl named Florrie Evans stood up and simply declared with purity and conviction and without any guile, I love Jesus Christ with all of my heart. And there was a pause. And then the spirit fell. And Jesus came, and a great revival came upon the land, a revival that for a time transformed that nation, a revival that lasted for years. And the spark that started it was that declaration of wholehearted love for Jesus. If you love me, I will manifest myself to you. Our love for Jesus unlocks the manifestation of his glory in our midst. But for the Pharisees, their lack of love had blinded them to the glory of Jesus. They didn't love him and they couldn't see him. So draw close to Jesus, love Jesus, cultivate that love in your hearts. And my third and final point is this, live to please Jesus. Live to please Jesus. In our passage, Jesus says this, I do not accept glory from human beings. In other words, I'm not living to please you. I'm living to please God. I'm after his praise. But you Pharisees, said Jesus, accept glory from one another. You're not living to please God. You're trying to please each other. And let's be really honest with ourselves. We are all vulnerable in this area, all of us. There is so much inside of us that can want praise from others. But we're called to please the one we love. As a French mystic, uh, Madame Guyon, she wrote this, true love has no eyes for self. When we put our eyes on the glory of Jesus, we start to lose sight of ourselves. And this is what the virtue of hiddenness um, is all about. Hiddenness doesn't mean hiding in a box. It means living to be seen by God. 
there's a common kind of Christian narrative that you, you go through a hidden season and then you have a season of being revealed. And it's true that there is often testing and formation prior to increase and influence. But hiddenness is not about what phase of life you're in or how many people see you. It is a matter of the heart is living to be seen by God, not others. It's living to please the one, not the crowd. And the bigger the platform, the more necessary it is to cultivate hiddenness of heart. The more you're revealed in any context, the more hiddenness is required. Many of you will have heard of evangelist uh, Reinhard Bonk and his ministry, Christ for All Nations. He passed a few years ago, but he was considered one of the, the greatest evangelists in the world since Billy Graham. And during his lifetime, he preached to millions. He had meetings where over a million people turned up to hear him preach. And over decades of ministry, tens of millions of recorded salvations. Imagine the pressure of that in terms of stewarding your character. I mean, what a test. The Pharisees never faced that much of a test of praise. And someone asked Reinhardt, how do you cope with all of this? And he said this, the crowd is not my reward. My reward is the manifest presence of Jesus. That's it. That is it. He was chasing the cloud, not the crowd. He knew there was nothing more precious, nothing more beautiful, nothing more wonderful than the presence of Jesus. There is no glory or praise or honor that you could receive from another that could ever touch the glory of the presence of Jesus. No one compares to Jesus. No one on earth, whether royalty or otherwise, the most precious moments in my life have been when the currents of grace have drawn me just that little bit deeper in worship, that little bit deeper into his presence than I've ever been before. I've never regretted a single moment I've spent with Jesus, but I do regret every moment in my life that I've spent outside of his presence. The highest reward in both this life and the life to come is the presence of Jesus. But the Pharisees chose the lesser reward. They wanted the crowds, they wanted the applause. And this is what stung the Pharisees so greatly. This is why they crucified Jesus. They could not stand that Jesus was getting the praise and the glory. They couldn't bear it that people were flocking to him. They were losing the praise of the people. They were being outshone. Even Pilate recognized it was out of envy that they crucified Jesus. You know that you're living for the praises of others if it torments you when another is praised and you want them just to vanish from the earth. Just reminded of an Oscar Wilde quote, whenever a friend succeeds, a little part of me dies. This is the very thing that really blinded the Pharisees to seeing Jesus. The last verse in our passage is hugely challenging. It's a deep burn. Verse 44, how can you believe? How can you believe since you accept glory from another but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? 
the Pharisees' desire for glory, their desire for praise and others, uh, praise and honor from each other, it actually blocked their believing. It blocked their revelation of Jesus. Our desire to be seen by others can actually blind us to Christ if not repented of. As soon as we start looking at ourselves and our own shine, then we're no longer looking at him and things start to go dim. Eric Gilmore said this, all sin is a gaze away from him. If we start gazing at ourselves, it will become so much harder to see the face of Jesus. But if we gaze upon Jesus, if we draw close, if we learn to love him, if we live for him, if we live to please him, we will experience realm after realm after realm after realm after realm after realm of the beauty of his presence and the glory of his face. Those who love me, I will manifest myself to them I will show myself to them and I will place my glorious presence upon their lives. I'm going to finish there. But my question tonight is this. It's the same question that Jesus asked Peter at breakfast after the resurrection. Do you love me? Do you you love me. Do you love me more than these? My absolute desire this evening is that the Holy Spirit would give me and all of us the gift of loving Jesus more deeply. It's the first commandment. That he would expand the wineskin of our hearts by his grace. And he would impart love to us. And stir up such a desire for the beauty of his presence. Such a desire for the face of Jesus. Such a desire to draw close to him in every moment. There is nothing sweeter than the presence of Jesus. And there's nothing else worth living for. So I'm going to invite the band up. And um, please stand. And I'm just going to pray over you. And If you would like to receive the gift of loving Jesus more deeply, then just hold out your hands. Close your eyes. It's all by grace. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and minister tonight, to come and minister Jesus to our hearts. It doesn't need to be complicated. I pray for the simplicity of devotion to be released over each of us, the hunger for your presence, the desire to see the desire of the nations, Jesus. 
I pray for the gift of loving him to be released to every person here that wants it. The grace to love Jesus with all of our hearts. Implant your love into us, Jesus. Set our hearts on fire. Let's turn from anything that would stop us loving Jesus, anything that would draw us away from his presence. Just turn from it in your hearts. The greatest privilege in this life is to love Jesus and to minister to him with our adoration and our worship.